Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel 31, 1 through 7. <clears throat> now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of, men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook, forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Yeah. Well, it is so good to be with you this morning. Good to see our visitors. A lot of our regular members are out, so let's be praying for them that they can come be back with us once more. At the close of 1 Samuel, we read about one of the saddest accounts in the history of Israel. Saul, the once highly blessed king of Israel, comes to a a terrible end upon the Mount of Gilboa. He simply kills himself. The man who was anointed of God, 1 Samuel 10, 1, used by the Spirit of God, 1 Samuel 10, 10, and humble in the very beginning, committed the ultimate act of despair. But his slide into sin began when his self-will caused him not to keep the commandments of God. He intruded into the office of the priest, 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14, He lost his reasoning ability by making a rash oath, 1 Samuel 14, 44. He directly disobeyed the voice of God by not killing Amalek. Instead, he allowed that king to live, and he kept the best of the nation instead of utterly destroying all things. And that open disobedience caused Samuel to speak those words that we know so well in 1 Samuel 15, beginning with verse 22. He said, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Notice also that his jealousy led him to hunt David, falsely consider him an enemy, 1 Samuel chapters 18 and 19, and his anger caused him to even make an attempt upon his own son Jonathan's life, 1 Samuel 20, 33. Later, he brutally commanded the slaughter of 85 priests, their families, and the destruction of their city, 1 Samuel twenty-two seventeen through 19, all because they aided in the help of David. 
in his last irrational act of desperation before he took his own pathetic life, he consulted with the witch of Endor. Recognizing that God was no longer with him, he turned to Satan's counterpart to give him counsel. But even through that unlikely source, he heard the departed spirit of Samuel who condemned him and prophesied of his own doom. David had been on the run from Saul at this point for about seven years. And then the reader comes to this final chapter in the life of King Saul. He started out faithful, but his rejection of God's plan for his life and his refusal to walk with God had brought God to the point where he rejected Saul and everything about him. From that tragic moment forward, Saul began a downward spiral into the insanity of sin, and it manifested itself into jealousy and a murderous rage toward young David. Now, the text records the tragic death of Saul and his three sons. And as we examine them, I want us to learn some important lessons of what we can avoid in our own lives. The title of the sermon this morning is, How Are the Mighty Fallen? Now we gather this title from the song of mourning that David sang in the next chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 through 27, when David sang the song of mourning over Saul and Jonathan. As we look into this final chapter, 1 Samuel, I want us to notice the death of Saul. I want us to learn some things, some things really to avoid. And I want us to begin with the tragedy of Saul's death. Saul's death was sad. At best, death is sad. At the very best, it's sad. But it is especially sad when those who leave us are lost. Saul couldn't leave, and he couldn't live. Now that is a sad place for a person to find himself. He couldn't live and he couldn't live, or he couldn't leave. God is the judge of all, but one must judge the fruit set before him. And Saul's fruit was rotten. Most of us can quote Matthew 7 verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged, but I think most folks in the world have at least a little bit of a misunderstanding of exactly what the Lord intended when, that, when He stated those words. Let's look at the whole context of what He stated there, Matthew chapter 7. Let's read that. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. With what measure you dip out and give to someone, you shall receive that same measurement in return. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Why are you looking at the splinter in your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? 
Here, let me, let me get that splinter out of your eye while I cannot see well enough because I have a beam in my own eye. I think that's what he's talking about, right? And then he goes on to say, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. He's not saying that we can't judge. What he's saying is, take care of yourself first. Because he goes on to say, Matthew 7 verse 20 of that same chapter, whereby their fruits ye shall know them. Well, obviously we make a judgment because we will know someone by their fruits. And we just talked about King Saul leading all the way up to the point where he killed himself. What kind of fruit did he present? His fruit was rotten. What kind of judgment did Jesus call that? Well, let's look in John chapter 7, verse 24. He called that a righteous judgment. We have to judge by a righteous judgment, not an unrighteous judgment. With what judgment you judge, it will be judged of you. That's what he's talking about, Matthew chapter 7, right? So when we look at King Saul and we say King Saul died lost, we're judging his fruit. He killed himself in disobedience to God. Instead of repenting, Saul chose to kill himself. Instead of bowing before the throne of heaven and asking for God's forgiveness and being disobedient to Him, instead of casting himself down and owning up to what he had done wrong, let's go back to where he was supposed to have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He didn't wait. He didn't do the things he was supposed to do. He sees Samuel coming and he says, See, I've done all that God has asked me to do. Do you recall what Samuel asked him? He said, Are those sheep that I hear... Now, wait a minute, Saul, you were supposed to utterly destroy everything. Are those sheep that I hear, and what about the king over here? What's he doing here? You recall what Samuel did? He took a sword and he hacked the king to death because he was supposed to be destroyed because the Amalekites had fell upon Israel when they were leaving Egypt And they were going through the desert to go to the promised land and they fell upon Israel and they attacked them and they were not supposed to do that. And God said, you'll be punished for that. And when it came time for the punishment, Saul did not carry through with the punishment. That was just one of the things that he did, right? He lived in disobedience to God. And he died in disobedience to God. Saul's death was sad. It was a tragedy because it was sad, but it was also shameful. It was shameful because of what happened. Notice what happened after his death. The body of Saul was desecrated by the enemies of Israel. He was beheaded. His head was sent from city to city as a symbol of Philistine victory. The enemies of God the pagan heretics that surrounded Israel found the bodies of Saul and his three sons, beheaded the, 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 uh, the head of Saul, 
and took it from city to city to show their victory, not over, not only over Israel, but over the God of Israel. To show the victory of their gods over the God of Israel. So the great king became a symbol of mockery to the enemies of God. Because it didn't have to happen, right? It was a shame because it didn't have to happen. Notice that Saul's life didn't start out the way it finished. Forty years earlier, Saul had been a handsome young man, head and shoulders taller than everyone else. The person God had chosen to be anointed king over Israel, he was humble, he was brave, he was obedient, and he was the first anointed king over the nation. He was the very one who needed to be king. However, Little by little, he allowed compromise to sneak into his life and he allowed Satan to turn him away from God and he became disobedient and now all of a sudden you turn around and he's not anything like he should have been and he is standing in stark disobedience right in the face of God, not being what he ought to be. When he died, he was only a short distance from Ramah the very place where he was anointed the first king over Israel. But spiritually, he couldn't have been further from where he started. But that's how Satan works, isn't it? It's little by little, and before you know it, he has the person right where he wants them. Right where he wants them. Look back over any account in the Bible, and that's exactly how Satan works. That's exactly how he operates. Pick a, pick an account. Adam and Eve. The world before the flood. David. Saul. Pick anyone. And that's how Satan operates. Jesus said this, John 10 verse 10, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. All people will either have life more abundantly through Christ or they will have a life that is destroyed by the thief and we have to choose. Satan seeks souls to steal so they'll be in hell eternally. The death of Saul was a tragedy but his death is also a testimony. It's a testimony It is a reminder that death will come to all people. The writer of Hebrews affirmed, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The psalmist asks this question, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Every graveyard and every funeral home testify that death is a natural part of life. That was the testimony of Saul's life, wasn't it? And all people have to be prepared for it. Paul said he was prepared. Notice what he said. He said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 6. He said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, 
but unto all them that also love His appearing. There's an old legend that is obviously just that, an old legend, but it speaks to the point of a merchant in Baghdad who one day sent his servant to the market. Before long, the servant came back and he was he was trembling and he was greatly agitated and he was white as a sheet. And he said, down at the market, he said, I was jostled in the crowd and a woman in the crowd uh, was the one who jostled me. When I turned around, I looked and it wasn't just a woman, it was death who had jostled me. And she looked at me and she made a threatening gesture, gesture and and he began to, to, to stutter and to mumble, and then he stopped and said, Master, lend me your horse. Lend me your horse, for I must hasten away to avoid her. I'll ride to Samara, and I will hide from her there, and she will not find me. The merchant lent him his horse, and the servant galloped on away, and, and later the merchant began to think about it, and he went down to the to the market, and, and he saw death standing in the crowd. And he went over and asked her, said, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? And why did you make a threatening gesture to him? So death looked at the master and said, I didn't make a threatening gesture. It was a start of surprise. I was just shocked because I saw him in Baghdad because I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. You see, we all have an appointment in Samaria with death, and we're all going to have that appointment. We can't get away from it. But you see, the faithful Christian has an appointment, but not one that ought to make us fear. It's one that makes the faithful Christian rejoice, provided we have our trust in Him who holds the keys over life and death. You see, in Saul's testimony of death, there is also a reality. There is a reality. One can either die badly like Saul did or we can die well. When a life has been lived like Saul's, death is always a tragedy. It's always a tragedy. When there's no repentance but only the anguish of wasted years, that's a terrible life and that's a terrible death and it's always a tragic event. And every person probably knows someone who's lived a life in that way. And when they die, that people just kind of shake their heads and the thought is it's just a wasted life. It's never pleasant when death comes for one who's not properly prepared. And God doesn't even wish death upon a person like that. Notice what God says in Ezekiel 33 verse 11. The writer says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, O God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Now in contrast to that, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm one sixteen fifteen. John recorded for us in the Revelation... Revelation 14, verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And Paul told those in Philippi, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, what a, what a contrast 
when one lives a life of faithfulness as opposed to those who live a life of disobedience. You see, that's what happened to Saul. Saul lived a life of just pure disobedience in the very uh, face of God. And that makes God sad. He doesn't look forward to that. He didn't look forward to the death of Saul. He wanted Saul to, to repent. Saul died just like Judas died. Judas chose not to repent after uh, selling the Savior for 30 pieces of silver. The rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, 19 through 31. Notice the difference between those two. You see, you have a, a life of someone who was faithful. Lazarus was faithful not because he was poor, but because he was faithful to the commandments of God under that particular dispensation of time. The rich man was disobedient. He wasn't lost because he was a rich man. He was lost because he was disobedient. And notice the differences in their deaths. Lazarus, he died. But he didn't die alone. He was alone in this world, but he didn't die alone. He was carried by the hands of angels into the next life, to the bosom of Abraham. He didn't have anything in this life, nothing but uh, torment and, and pain and anguish. But in the next life, he had nothing but comfort. And then we look at the death of the rich man, and it says simply that he died. Now, he had all kinds of people, all the friends money could buy in this life, but in death he was alone. And it says, and simply, and he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeing Lazarus afar off. And speaking to Father Abraham, he said, I'm tormented in these flames. Send Lazarus that he might dip his finger in water that it might cool my tongue. Wanted one drop of water. You see the difference in in the deaths? Lazarus being comforted, the rich man being in torments. What a difference. You see, Saul left a tragic reminder in reality in his testimony of death. You see, we don't have to have that. See, prior to going into death, we can make any changes we need. Now I want us to notice the teaching in his death. I've never really noticed this, but do you realize that there are some common elements in the death of King Saul and Jesus? Some common elements that took place. Notice the appearance. In both accounts of King Saul and King Jesus, it appeared that the end had come. When King Saul died, Israel had fled in fear, verse 7. Many saw King Saul as the hope of Israel, and when he died, they thought all hope was gone. Notice what was happening. All the people had fled. They left. And the Philistines had come in. Now, how much the disciples and the followers of Jesus had felt? How much they had felt when they saw Christ hanging on the cross, His limp body hanging there, having died. Surely they thought all hope was gone. In fact, Peter said, I'm going back to fishing. 
The other apostles had joined him. Imagine their fear, their sense of loss, their hopelessness when their Lord was dead and dying that day. It also appeared the enemy had won, right? Verses 7 through 10 tells us in our passage that the Philistines had occupied the Israelites' cities. They had mutilated the bodies of Saul and, and his three sons. They sent Saul's head from city to city to show the power of their gods. They rejoiced in their victory over Israel. It looked like the enemies of God had, had won the day. It must have looked the same way for Satan and his followers the day that Jesus died and was hanging on the cross. Imagine the rejoicing among the Jewish leaders when Jesus finally took his last breath and, and he said, into your hands I commend my spirit. Can you imagine the thoughts? Well, finally this thorn in our flesh is gone. We don't have to put up with him any longer. He can't stir up the people. Satan thought he had finally defeated God's plan for his creation. He had outsmarted the God of heaven and hopelessness ruled the day. Jesus was gone. You see, Satan isn't God. He isn't all-knowing. He isn't all-powerful. He isn't all-present. He didn't know the plan of God. He thought he had won. Isn't it great that appearances can be deceiving In Israel, Saul may have been dead. The Philistines may have been claiming victory, but God still had his man. David would step up in a few days. He would set things right. All the enemy had won was a few more days. The king would ascend to the throne and he would put down Philistine power forever. You see, that is what would happen when Jesus died on the cross, Satan and his demons rejoiced. Heaven mourned with sadness, but wickedness was defeated. And three days later, the Savior of the world walked out of the tomb, Matthew 28, 1-6. And with it He brought life. Life eternal. And the appearance brought with it an accomplishment. Something that would change the world forever. Now in Saul's case, it introduced a new plan. When Saul and his sons died, you see the way was open for David to be the next king. That fulfilled the prophecies of Genesis 49 verse 10 that made it possible for a king to come out of Judah. And the prophecies to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 1 and 12 through 13. God used that event to change the royal line and it would usher in the Messiah from the tribe of Judah. The death of, the death of Jesus signaled the end of the old law. See, it would usher in the new law, the new high priest, the new way of worship. It allowed a new people, Right? David was not in the human line to ascend the throne, but he was now. It was opened for him by the death of another. The death of Jesus opened the way of salvation for a people who had no hope otherwise. Ephesians 2 verse 12. Those who were a part of the commonwealth of Israel and had no hope in this world. But now we have hope through Christ Jesus. It introduced a new promise 
You see, the reign of Saul was a time of failure and dissatisfaction among the people of Israel, 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 2. And when he died, it, entered, it introduced a new era of, 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 uh, of prosperity. David became king and he brought a time of new hope to Israel. When Jesus died on the cross, you see, his death ended the age of guilt and sin that could not be forgiven. Every year you had to address that same sin over and over again. But now sin could be taken away. Hebrews chapter 10, for the, for the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. But you see, now we have that perfect sacrifice that could. It brought the system of faith to take away the sins of the world, Romans. How do we stand justified in the sight of God? The system of faith. The system of faith takes away the sins of the world brought by the Lamb of God. How do we do it? Well, that's what the people on the day of Pentecost asked. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do about what? Well, we go back and look at Acts chapter 2 and we listen to that beautiful sermon that Peter preached about how they had crucified the very Son of God. Men and brethren, Acts 2.37, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not to you only, but to those who are far off. So that goes back to Ephesians chapter 2. Those who were outside the commonwealth of Israel, so that's us. That's us. Those who are far off. See, repentance is absolutely necessary. Peter talked about it again in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus talked about repentance. Unless ye all likewise repent, ye shall perish. Confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Acts chapter 8, beginning about verse 26 or 27, Philip began to teach Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch. He started at that same place in Isaiah, that scroll he was reading. And he began to teach Jesus. And as they continued on, they came to a certain water, and Phil, uh, the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest, thou mayest. He said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. They both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now here's the last thing we know about the eunuch. He simply went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because of that system of faith that Jesus ushered in. It lifted those sins from him. That could not be lifted under that old system, right? It brought in the new plan, that death on the cross, confession. Confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then, of course, baptism. That's important. Not more important, but just as important. On the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Saul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was headed down... He wanted to find some Christians, throw them in jail, possibly have them killed. And he ran into the Lord Jesus. He appeared to him. Uh, Saul said, Lord, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he said, go into the city and there it will be told you what what you will have to do. And so he went into the city, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. We put them all together. We learned that he went into the city and he prayed and he fasted for three days. He was penitent. He was praying and he was fasting. And then Ananias shows up 
He teaches him the gospel, that system of faith. And in Acts 22, verse 16, he says, Saul, Saul, why tearest thou? Rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. You see, he had repentance. He must have had confession because that's part of the plan, right? But he had to have his sins washed away. That was the missing piece of the puzzle. Paul talked about that later on in Romans chapter 10, verse 10. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and uh, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, if we're unto something, you've got to have that last piece of the puzzle. I often say, if we're walking from here to the foyer, and it takes how many ever steps, let's say 20, and I take 19, I'm unto the foyer. I need that last one. And that last one is baptism. See, you have those final, that final step into salvation. Then, of course, faithful living. We talked about Paul talking about that. I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. The faith. The system of faith. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Saul died like a fool. Jesus died like a victor question is this how will we die that's the question we learn that from Saul's death we have an opportunity today to determine how we die through answering the Lord's invitation we can die like a victor prepare for that death if you've never obeyed the gospel we've talked about how to do that if you have, you become unfaithful and you need to get back into walking in the light, First John 1 verse 7, through repentance and prayer. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.